Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, this is David Gedge from The Wedding Present, and you're listening to the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 9 of Music Is Not a Genre, MXG. We are here in the holiday season here. Uh, this this is being released uh, in November, I believe, at some point, uh, with a very interesting topic, which I'll get to in a second. Thank you for watching and listening. If you are just listening, you can go to youtube.com slash at music is not a genre to find videos for every single episode. And don't forget also for every single episode, I do a bonus episode over at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. For this bonus episode, I'll be doing another uh, double whammy acoustic uh, songs, two songs, one a cover of a Duran Duran song and one an original, I think, uh, sounds like it's been influenced by Duran Duran. That's kind of how I roll. And why am I saying Duran Duran? Because the topic of this week's episode is Duran Duran. They're everywhere, everywhere. And I'm not even 100%. I mean, that's the title I've come up with. I came up with like six different titles. It was one of those topics where I couldn't really pin down what the central theme was other than the fact that, like I said during the Beatles episode a couple of weeks ago, they are they have just been popping up in, in places left and right. They popped up in the Wombats episode. They popped up in the Beatles episode. They've popped up in conversation here and there. Uh, they are also just about to release. In fact, by the time this airs, they will have already released yet another album. I think their 16th album, I want to say. Uh, which comes out or came out October 27th, 2023. And I just finished really absorbing not that long ago, their 2021 album. And I'll get to that, of course, when I do the discography. But that is to say, they're not just everywhere, they're also every when. And if you didn't know that, it's because that's what happens to a lot of artists, but particularly to a lot of artists in America, where they hit it big and they have their moment in the sun. And then all of a sudden uh, that ends. And unless they have a quote unquote comeback here in the States, people forget about them sometimes forever until they have another comeback. And it's happened so many times. It's kind of ridiculous. That is certainly the case with Duran Duran, who has been consistently releasing music from uh, 1981 on straight up until today. Uh, And that again, is why I'm doing this episode. They have become unavoidable. I was going to do my uh, round two of my album series, and then I had a few other topics on my list uh, that I thought were rising to the top, but I kept thinking about them, and I'm like, well, if I don't do this now, they're just going to be haunting me. And as you know, much as I like them, you don't want to be haunted by something. So it's time to do this. Uh, and and so I and I wanted to explore why that was the case. And I think this episode does that. First of all, I find that in general, Duran Duran is underrated. And even by me, I lost touch with them in the mid late 80s, retouched them in the early mid 90s, like everyone did. Lost touch with them again after that, 
largely because the American market didn't really care about them anymore. And then got back in touch with them in 2021. And that's that's the point at which I was like, I really need to reassess this band because their band who started from the beginning writing and recording and playing their own music in their own way. And that's, again, like I said in the Beatles episode, influenced by the Beatles, but influenced by post-punk and so many other things, which we'll get to a, a little bit. I call them an electro-power-pop band. I can't say they're the first ones. I, I think, to me, that would be the Cars. If there's another band prior to the Cars that was doing electro-power-pop, which, again, I say it all the time, is defined by pop songs done in a rock style with electronic elements the way Rec does, for the most part, tell me if you think there's a band prior to the Cars that was doing electro-power-pop. There were power-pop bands, but electro-power-pop. In particular, hard-driving electro-power-pop in a lot of ways. And that said, with the Cars, I think Duran Duran were really the first band to hone that electro-power-pop sound into something that was then passed on in that specific way to other bands Beyond and Beyond, including a band like the Wombats, which is an episode I just recently did. And it's partly because they split that sound evenly down the middle between electronic and rock. They they didn't lean super electro the way Depeche Mode and New Order did, even though both of those bands did a mix of electro and rock. They didn't lean more heavily in the rock direction with just electronic, you know, thingies like Squeeze or The Cars did even though I love those two bands as well, they really split it evenly more so than any of their contemporaries and, um, you know, more so than a lot of bands who came after them, for sure. And they had a string of huge hits and they were called the the Fab Five. People had their favorites and all of that stuff. Um, they, influenced, they influenced countless bands through to today but are somehow still rarely mentioned as being that big of an influence. It's almost like they're taken for granted because like, oh, that's Duran Duran was the 80s. But A, they've done work since then. But even if you say forget all that work because their main influence does come from their 80s work, you have to give credit to the fact that the way they did the music they did has severely influenced so many other things that came afterwards. Uh, and so I had to correct an oversight in my own chronography, look it up, it's a word I coined, and listen to their entire catalog, which I did in preparation for this podcast. And I'm glad I did. Quick history, very quick. They were formed in 1978 by John Taylor, whose real first name is Nigel, who's still going by Nigel at the time, and Nick Rhodes, and Stephen Duffy. Remember John Taylor's name a couple of minutes from now. I'll tell you why. Um, they were named after a Barbarella character, Dr. Durand Durand. Uh, they all met in art school, of course. That happened so often, especially in Britain, probably mostly in Britain, to be honest. They had their first gig in 1979, uh, and then a bunch of personnel shifts. They brought in, on Andy Wickett to sing. I think Stephen Duffy left. And then they brought in Roger Taylor for drums. So now you have a John Taylor. You have a Roger Taylor. Keep those in mind. Uh, the few more personnel changes, and they did a four-track demo. And then by 1980, Andy Taylor joined following uh slightly later uh, followed by simon Lebon, of course is the is the person we most associate with uh duran duran because the lead singer and all of that now what did i just say let's review you have simon Lebon, you have nick rhodes 
And then you have three Taylors. You have John Taylor, Roger Taylor, and Andy Taylor. Now, anyone who knows the history of bands and rock music, and whether it's the Ramones or Oasis or so many others, would, you know, or I believe even Radiohead, would say, well, they're brothers. Of course, brothers get together and they start a band. That's what people do. Except none of those tailors are related. Is this a crazy thing? Now, I'm sure those of you who know Duran Duran really well were like, no, I knew that. Okay, cool. Why are you getting so upset, dude? But I just discovered this and I'm like, that's kind of cool. It's kind of British, too. I mean, I guess it's like having three Smiths in a band and, and none of them are related. I don't know. So I just thought it was really interesting. Uh, they came uh, with up with the New Romantic movement, which was very, um, which is a part, like a subset of New Wave and was very associated with and obsessed with fashion and aesthetics and, and, and all of that. And had, but had slightly different sounds from New Wave, although you can hear the absolute relate, relation to them. I think New Romantic is more of a straight mix of rock and electro, like I was saying, as opposed to New Wave, which to me was more heavily electro, but I don't know. It, it was a mix of glam and punk and post-punk and disco funk and electronic and all that stuff you can hear in Duran Duran. Think of bands also like A Flock of Seagulls. Think of Culture Club. Think of Spandau Ballet. Who, uh, and then think of other bands who were not considered new romantic, but were adjacent to that movement. Adam and the Ants, ABC, Depeche Mode, Human League, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, OMD. You can hear how, how they all leaned a little bit more in one direction or the other. Whereas those first few bands I mentioned, when you think of a culture club, they sound like a band with electronic instruments. And a lot of us will think, well, that's just 80s music. But that wasn't by far all 80s music. It was a small subset of 80s music that we now associate with the 80s. And people like The Weeknd, you know, rip off Aha or whatever, or homage Aha. And that's what they say. This is an 80s sounding song. But you could do so many other things that sound like the 80s. Just that's what we now associate with the 80s. You can thank the New Romantics and a new wave. Uh, it didn't hurt that New Romantic was also obsessed with fashion because it made them icons in a visual way, especially when they started doing videos. And those videos really hit big because they started their career. They released the first album right when, you know, MTV started in 1981. Uh, I think they're a huge unsung influence of uh, the music that came from the early to the early mid 2000s. It's kind of insane. I think that music mostly wouldn't exist without a band like Duran Duran, uh, such as The Killers, Panic at the Disco, Franz Ferdinand, uh, who also loves Sparks in the way Duran Duran did, The Bravery, Hot Hot Heat, even to a degree Pink and No Doubt, and Justin Timberlake and Beck, all people who say they have been influenced by Duran Duran, and you can hear that influence. You can listen to Pink's music and you hear this mix of electro rock. You do, and not everything, but in so much of what she does. Once you know, once you, this is why I'm doing this episode. This is why I'm saying they're everywhere, everywhere. And I can't figure out why they keep popping up because once you think of Duran Duran and think of their potential of influence, you start hearing it in so many other places. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Uh, like so many other Euro rock bands, they were consistently tied to dance music and DJs and remixes. And for them, it's very understandable, more so than many other bands. It's probably the first band I remember contemporaneously putting out a remix of their hit at the same time. I'm sure other bands probably did it or were lesser known or just fell off or weren't on my radar or whatever. But as far as me thinking, oh, you could do that. You could have this big hit and then you can have another hit from it by doing a DJ remix for the dance clubs. And then I started hearing that everywhere and I became a DJ for a while and that, that all, you know, so it was a big influence on me, which brings me to the discography. Let's just get right to it. That was a brief history. It's, it's, it's enough for you to know what's going on. Please, if you're still thinking about the the, the three unrelated tailors, uh, message me. I want to know your thoughts on that because it's freaking me out too. Uh, discography, uh, 15 albums, not counting the 16th that just came out that as of this recording hasn't come out yet. So I've only had a chance to listen to a couple singles from it. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, and so the first one is Duran Duran, self-titled 1981, super strong out of the gate, super clear sound out of the gate. I, and you know, I love this, this production uh, era, like 78 to 82, sometimes 83, sometimes 77, but really 78 to 82 is a sweet spot for me and has been. And just the fact that it's dry, but still has some level of atmospherics. And that's really what that entire first Duran Duran album is. It was a huge hit in the UK and Europe made pretty much no impact in the States. Uh, you know, yeah, the production's dry, it's punchy, it's atmospheric. Colin Thurston was the producer. He worked with Iggy and Bowie. He worked with Human League uh, subsequently and Kajagugu, which their song Too Shy, if you don't know it, you should know it. Kajagugu Too Shy is a freaking awesome song. I don't think there's a weak track on this first album, but my favorites are Girls on Film, Planet Earth, Careless Memories, Sound of Thunder, Friends of Mine, and Tel Aviv, which is very cool psychedelic, which is why I say... They hit all five criteria when I talked about my Beatles, uh, you know, influenced bands. I will say about this album that I was unaware of it when it came out. 
and was unaware of a lot of this music, in fact, especially as songs like Girls on Film and Planet Earth until fairly recently, probably the last decade. And when I first heard it, whenever that was, I just freaking loved it. Brings me to the next album, Rio, in 1982, which was their U.S. uh, breakout, really. And it's the first time I remember them existing because I remember the big hits from this album when they came out. It's hard to be more 80s, but early 80s. Let me be specific. I'll call it the good 80s, the unbloated 80s, the unheavily washed reverb 80s. This is this is quintessential 80s in a very, very good way. This is at that cusp of my favorite period of production. It's freakier than you remember it, Rio, because you think of the, you know, think of those singles. There are interesting sounds in there. And you, th- you might think that's as far as they went. But when you listen to the album cuts, they did go further. It's more assured and refined than the first album. Uh, a little less varied, I would say. But that might have been by design. Colin Thurston produced again. And my favorites from this album are Rio, Hungry Like the Wolf, which to me, just that single song, it was big hand in defining the 80s sound for a lot of rock bands. Hold Back the Rain, New Religion, Last Chance in the Stairway, and Save a Prayer are other songs that I like from that album. The following year, so this is one album a year for a while, because that's what happens when you're up and coming. Seven and the Ragged Tiger, 1983. Never heard that title till I did this research, but I certainly heard the songs from it. Such a strong album. Even though I liked so many of the songs from the album Rio, it was really the singles from this album that sold me on this band, that really made me a huge fan of them at this period of the 80s, the singles from this album. You can hear the 80s reverb era creeping in slightly, but it's not quite there yet, so I kind of give that production a pass. It's also a more varied album than Rio, so I think it's... You know, listen to their first album for sure. But if you want to listen to Quintessential, let's say, um, I mean, yeah, you got to do Rio. You got to. But you also should do Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Some of my favorites from this album, The Reflex, which when you listen to it, even though I was talking about how they put out a remix of The Reflex at around the same time they put out The Reflex. And I remember that version as well as I remember the single version. I can still hear the weird thing changes they did to the vocals or the pitching down and all that stuff in my head, even though I haven't heard it in so long. But the song itself, the actual single, The Reflex, almost sounds like its own remix. Pretty interesting and pretty cool. New Moon on Monday is one of my favorite songs of theirs just in general. I Take the Dice I like. Union of the Snake, people forget a lot, but that's such a great song. There were non-album singles released around this time. That same year, 83, is there something I should know? Please, please tell me now. I mean, that's probably, that might be my favorite 80s Duran Duran song. Maybe. I don't know. They put this song, when they re-released, they reissued their first album in the States. They put this song on that album. It sticks out like a sore thumb. The album is great. That song is great. They don't go together. Their production had changed by then. Weird, but I'm sure it's sold sold records. Then they put out another non-album single in 1984. They were doing a lot of tours and I guess trying to figure out where they wanted to go next. So they didn't put an album, an album right away. And they did side projects as well, which I'll get to. And a song, The Wild Boys. Oh, man. That, I mean, that's a powerful song. That's a great song. That is not a kitschy song. It's a good song. It's on their live album, Arena but also released as a single in 84. Uh, another non-album single, A View to a Kill in 85. Why do you know that? Because it's the title of the Bond 
movie that that was the theme to. And I like this too. This was also the last uh, song that they would record as the Fab Five, the Three Taylors and uh, Rhodes and Laban for a very long time because Roger uh, retired at the moment, like semi, I guess, temporarily. And then Andy decided to go solo. And what happened was they split off into two factions and created two side projects. The more famous one is known as the Power Station. They worked with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Andy, John and Andy Taylor worked with Robert Palmer and uh, uh, Sheik's drummer, Tony Thompson. It's more rock. It's more funk. I've always loved Robert Palmer. I love his solo stuff, even from the 70s. I like the Power Station song, Some Like It Hot, and their remake of T-Rex's Get It On. I think Get it, this Get It On is better than the original Get It On. It's more powerful. It's more interesting to me. And even though Power Station only lasted a year, it was kind of like a super group, I really enjoyed their music. At the same time, the other three from the band, so you had... John and Andy. Then you had Roger, Nick, and Simon create the band Arcadia in 1985. They put out a whole album called So Red the, so Red the Rose, which Slaban has said was a very self-important album. <laughs> and can get that. I, didn't, I don't remember the name of this band or the album, but I remember the song Election Day when I reheard it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good song. Also like the songs Goodbye is Forever in the Flame, and I think I remember one of those, at least, from that time. And so all that was happening in those three years and Andy leaves and Ron Roger leaves and then they shift gears and change producers and want to change their sound and they put out an album called Notorious in 1986. And I'm going to say this about this album. When Notorious, the single came out, this is when I was like, time has to a degree moved on for Duran Duran and people have made this mistake with them year, you know, decade after decade. And they've always come back in one way or another. And I'll talk about those comebacks seem to be every 10 years. But for me, this was not an interesting direction for them to go in. But they were working with Niall Rogers, who can do no wrong in my book. And there were some interesting elements to the funk direction they were going. But I think they went too far in the pop direction to the detriment of their rock roots. Now, they lost, you know, Andy on the guitar and all that. And then Roger... You can understand why, but at the same time, it was, I mean, certainly not a full reinvention. It might have been more interesting if it was a full reinvention as opposed to just a slide into this. That said, Notorious, the single, was a big hit. From this album, I also like American Science, So Misled, and I like Meet El Presidente, which apparently was a single. I have no memory of it, but in hindsight, now re-listening or listening to it, I guess, I, I do like it. Which brings me to the last album they released in the 1980s called Big Thing in 1988. No memory of this. Like I said, I had checked out after that as far as they were concerned until 1993. Uh, This is even more electro. But it's less, to me, it's less compromised than Notorious. And I like it better than the Notorious album because they went, like I said, further in that direction. It reminds me of Yes's Big Generator of the year before, which a lot of people denigrate. I think that's a great album for 80s Yes. I really do. I think it deserves a re-listen, by the way. But Big Thing from uh, Duran Duran in 88 also deserves a re-listen. Some of my favorites from that album are the title track Big Thing, I Don't Want Your Love, which it's very 80s. 
the bass is very 80s. It's irredeemable, frankly. It, you know, it's that slap, fake slap bass or whatever, the key ba- keyboard bass, which is on almost every keyboard from that era. But that said, it's a really good song. And I honestly like, I don't want your love better than anything on Notorious. I also, uh, I think All She Wants Is was another single there. Uh, not one of my faves though. Uh, Too Late Marlene is kind of cool. I like it, different. Do You Believe in Shame? I like. Interlude 1, kind of a really cool, interesting electro interlude. And they would do these interludes throughout their career, which I think is such a great move. And other bands I've enjoyed have done interludes like that, like Chicago comes to mind. Um, Then they released in 1989, the album Decade, which was a greatest hits. I don't know. I don't think it was their first greatest hits and far from their last. They put a new single on it called Burning the Ground. I don't remember this single because, again, by 89, I wasn't listening to them, but I like it. Uh, it is a, And what it is is, again, it's talk, talk about DJ remixes and dance mixes and stuff. This is, and I forget which artist did it, it's a pastiche of snippets from their hits. So a bunch of their hits, I forget how many, maybe 10, 12, whatever, are put together in this one song called Burning the Ground, which I just, yeah, I just happen to think that's kind of cool. I also happen to think this is a great time to take a break now that we have exited the 80s and we're getting into some ways and in some in ways their lesser known uh, catalog. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out, but I realized that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdematio.com. That really is the hub. I list all the links in every episode just in case, but nickdematio.com is where I put everything that I do. If you want to know more about this podcast, whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at youtube.com slash at music is not a genre or wherever else the podcast shows up, or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre, just go to nickdematio.com. It's all there. If you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers, for my band Rec, R-E-C, and beyond. It's at nickdematio.com, including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your social. Uh, my acting clips are there. My voiceover clips are there. Graphic design, my blog, and most especially, it's the best place to contact me. If you go to nickdematio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page, you can send me a note, say hello, ask me any questions you'd like. You get a newsletter a few times a month and... If you have a project of your own and need work done for it, whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design, or if you have an event and you need live music, go to nickdomadio.com, contact me, say hello, let me know what you need. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. And before I get into the 90s, I want to make this general point, which is that this seems to be a recurring theme for music is not a genre and I like it, which is that I'm shedding light on, then it bears repeating the fact that bands from really anywhere, but particularly from other countries tend to make a splash in the States and then fade, even if their work continues to be good, if not great. Now that's also true for bands in the States. I have been surprised often pleasantly to find that a band that I enjoyed in the 80s 90s 2000s was still putting out albums straight through to today you know that to me is again I've said this before it's different from bands who are doing nostalgia tours which hey people love that and making money 
I'm not judging it, but it's not the same as creating new music. And the fact that uh, Duran Duran is one of those bands who's consistently created new music deserves mention and mention again. Which brings me to their album of 1990, Liberty, which I have absolutely zero memory of this as well. Uh, I like the production better than Big Thing and Notorious is starting to creep itself out of the 80s, which is always nice because that late 80s is difficult for me. Uh, the uh, It sounds to me like the B-52's Cosmic Thing in terms of production from the year before, 1989. It's less bloated than the previous two uh, production-wise, but still, like I said, a little 280s for, for my taste. It does combine stuff and, and, and that they had done from their classic era, their early mid-80s and the late 80s, which is a nice combination to hear. It's them saying we shouldn't have fully abandoned that early stuff in the way I think they did, uh, which is that happens with artists. Uh, Warren Cucurullo and Sterling Campbell join. There's a lot of political commentary on this, which you had a little bit of it certainly prior and uh, quite a bit more after, more than you realize. But there's a lot of it here on this album, which is nice. Some of my favorites from it are Violence of Summer, uh, parentheses, Love's Taking Over, Liberty, the title track, and First Impression. So not a lot of favorites. What are you going to do? Apparently it didn't do super well. They took a break. Uh, I don't know if it was a legit break or they were just kind of regathering themselves, whatever it is. But three years would pass uh, the same. So you had 81, 82, 83. Then some singles in between. You had 86, 88, and 90. So fairly consistent there, which is unusual for a band who's hit that level of success. Usually they slow down even more. And then they take their, their break here in 93. I think what's interesting about they're consistently releasing new material is that they are sort of one of the most inconsistent in terms of their timing of releases, which I think is interesting. You know, like I, for, for quite a long time, you two would release an album every four years and I love the consistency. Others would do it every year or every six years or whatever it is. Their, their timing would switch off and on. So this album in 93, also called Duran Duran, because I think it was sort of like a reboot for them. But subtitled or by fans uh, and many, you know, critics and journalists, the wedding album because of the cover was a huge comeback for them everywhere, but particularly in the States, probably Canada, who knows. This is when they fully came out of the 80s sound, did a reinvention that still sounded a whole lot like Duran Duran, which is a wonderful way to do it. And and it was such a big comeback that even though I had, my tastes have moved on, moved on, uh, my interest was renewed in them in the same way that it was renewed in New Order right around the same time when Republic came out. Sterling Campbell was no longer there. Uh, they, they, it was the night they added acoustic guitar to their sound palette, which was a really nice addition. And if you go to my bonus episode, uh, patreon.com slash music is not a genre, the direct link will be below. Uh, it's not posted yet, so there's no direct link yet. But at, by the time you're hearing and seeing this, there will be. I do uh, an acoustic version of Ordinary World, along with an original of mine called Xmas, spelled X-M-I-S-S, that I think sounds nothing like Ordinary World, but the recorded version of Xmas sounds a lot like early uh, Duran Duran, straight up electro power pop for sure. So just a little plug there. But that acoustic edition is very nice. I remember the song 
too much information. I think it's like destroyed by MTV. I hate to bite the hand that feeds. There's too much information. I really loved that. I loved Ordinary World. I loved Come Undone. But in the re-listen, I also really enjoyed Drowning Man, Shotgun, which is another cool interlude, uh, UMF, None of the Above, and Shelter. Uh, Just a super strong album. I'm not sure album-wise that I'd put it in my top five, which is interesting because I remember enjoying this, but I still wasn't fully sold on their sound and what they were doing. And I think neither was America or at least the American, you know, in industry because they again fell off the face of the earth in America for the most part. They had a few bubbles here and there in the 90s, but really that was their big comeback and then nothing as far as big hits go. And uh, I am guilty of abandoning them as well. And that's fine. You move, you know, you move on. But it, usually with something like this, like what happened with New Order, you know, once I got hooked again, I kept going till forever, right? Not the case with them for whatever reason. Uh, and I think it's partly because even though I enjoyed a lot of the singles on that album, uh, it might, it'll certainly rank in my maybe top seven, I don't know, eight, but not in the top five. Uh, but those singles are absolutely worth listening to. Two years later in 1995, they released uh, an album called Thank You. I don't consider it really one of their main albums because it's all covers. It's a great mix of cover choices from, from all different kinds of music and generally solid production and performances throughout, like just really strong, stronger than you would remember. You can understand why it might not have been well received at the time because there's a slight kitschiness to some of it, but only because what was going on in 95 was so different from what they were doing here, at least in the States grunge and all that but i think the interesting choices and listening through it i was surprised that there wasn't a track that made me cringe there are no really no weak tracks um <clears throat> 911 is a joke they do a cover of and they do it like a g love song which i think is actually very cool and i think it works uh their cover of white lines is on there the perfect day i think was the single the the lou reed song and that was you know well done but and all different in different ways you know but their next proper album wouldn't be released till four years after the wedding album so-called and that was 1997's medazzaland uh never heard it honestly i didn't expect a lot from it but it's super strong so strong that this is probably in my top three favorite album there's certainly in my top five and may come close to being my overall favorite duran duran album who else picks medazzalan as their favorite duran duran album i want to know who you are because i don't think many people do but i think it's an incredibly strong album it's the first to me to sound genuinely not 80s and not a reaction like 93 was sort of more of a reaction against the 80s or a modification of that the way some of that music from that era was it to me is like we're starting something new uh production wise forget what we did before even though there's still a connection i think the start of the album is super interesting the sounds are super interesting uh john taylor left part way through uh so that's something to note This is an example of the mainstream passing by an older artist. That in-between period where the artist hasn't hit in full legacy status to where they're revered for being pioneers that they are, but they've passed through their main period of huge success. 
And this happens so often to artists. And of course, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ocean out there and things ebb and flow and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that we should ignore quality work when it happens, even if it doesn't hit the charts. I think this album, because they took time off and they had their second success, it proved to themselves that they weren't has-beens, whatever you want to call it, I don't know, is the, is the most assured album, the trying to me less hard in some ways than any of their albums of the previous 10 years. And it's my favorite production since the first two albums, since Duran Duran first and Rio, for sure, very different production, co-produced by... A group called TV Mania, which was basically just a side project of Nick Rhodes and Ron Cucurullo. And a lot of the songs that they ended up on this album came from that side project, which I'm not even sure that they recorded an album under that name. But the fact that they migrated over to here, who cares? Refresh songwriting, I think bringing new ideas in just something interesting and, and, and uh, trying on chord changes that were more nineties and things like that, but doing it well. Some of my favorites, Medazalan, the title track, Big Bang Generation, Electric Barbarella, which throw back to where they got their name from. Who Do You Think You Are, which is a really nice power ballad that has actual power. It's not it's not a sappy power ballad. Buried in the Sand, Michael, You've Got a Lot to Answer For is very nice. Midnight Sun, So Long Suicide is a super powerful song. And the final track, Undergoing Treatment, is super, super interesting. And that was 97. Uh, a couple mentions here, 98 they uh, and 99, they released two albums that were compilations of their remixes, which they and the band always called night versions. Oh, we're doing a night version of the song, meaning that's the song they play at a, at a dance club at night. That's why they called them that. That's so cool. So the first album, 1998's night version and 1999's Strange Behavior, which was had a lot of night ver- night versions on, uh, songs on there, and then quite a bit more. Uh, worth a listen because if you like remixes, whether or not you like their songs, frankly, these are really good remixes and good time capsules of the way remixes have changed over the years. Uh, Pop Trash was their next proper album, so only three years after Medazzland. Again, inconsistent timing. In two thousand, it was the last. With the trio of Simon Lebon, Nick Rhodes, and Warren Cucurullo, because John Taylor had left midway through the last album. Um, more TV Mania songs, and overall another strong outing, and very similar to Medazzaland, uh, even though it was three years later. I find this album very strong. I, I don't enjoy it as much as Medazzaland, but it's pretty darn close. Some of the songs I like are Someone Else, Not Me, Lava Lamp, Hallucinating Elvis, really interesting sound choices. And then Last Day on Earth, also a good song, I think. Four years would pass before their next album, which was Astronaut in 2004. And this is the first return of the Fab Five. The You can't say original because they weren't from 1978, but they're the most well-known lineup of the band, the Three Taylors and Rhodes and Laban on this album it's the first time they reunited and to me it actually does sound more like an updated version of that fab five period than anything that came in between i won't say that i like it and honestly as much as medazzaland and uh what was the 2001 i forget already pop trash uh i do like it 
so many songs on here came close to me liking them, but there was a way where I thought, well, they were trying to recapture the nostalgia of their sound from 20 years before or even more. And, and yet, like I said, you had the big stuff happening in like 83. You had the big stuff happening for them in 93 after a lull. You had an, another big thing in, I want to say, 03, but it was really 04. Uh, with this album, it was sort of another comeback for them. It was a career revival for them. Probably because it sounded a lot like a combination of their 80s work and 2000 dance, the pop dance pop from the 2000s that was happening at the time. And it was super well produced. Uh, Nile Rogers returned to co-produce. And I honestly think did a better job producing this one than the one in 1986. It reminds me of B-52's revival album, Funplex, from 2008, actually, in that it's just super freaking strong. Although I would say Funplex overall had stronger songs than uh, Astronaut does. But, you know, still a good album. In fact, songs I like from it, title track, Astronaut, Bedroom Toys, Nice, Chains, and my absolute favorite on this album is One of Those Days. So worth a listen, but not my top five. Hey, folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72 and other sought after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Three years later, they would release Red Carpet Massacre. So I'm sure some more political stuff too. This is the point at which they finally released legacy status, revered artist status. They'd been around for more than 25 years and artists like Timbaland and Justin Timberlake were starting to, you know, talk about them as being an influence and wanting to work with them. And in fact, did work with them on this album. They co-produced a lot of the material. Uh, Andy Taylor had left again by this point so that Bob Five was gone again but the four were still there Roger was back uh, and to stay for good uh, it definitely super contemporary production in for 2007 and in a very good way and I generally like the sound and the songs better than the previous album uh, better than Astronaut and I would even put Red Carpet Massacre in my top five that's how strong this freaking album is. Absolutely worth a listen. Favorites from it, The Valley, the title track, Red Carpet Massacre, uh, Night Runner, which sounds like Timberlake co-wrote it, and he did, and, and it's cool for that. Falling Down, great. Tempted, love it. Tricked Out, very good instrumental. Again, I love that they put instrumentals on almost all of their albums after a certain point. Very cool. Three years later, so they did have some consistency here, 0407 and 2010. All you need is now. Stop the presses. Mark Ronson works with them. He's one of my all-time favorite producers for so many reasons. And this album, All You Need Is Now, to me sounds like 
like the way you two would would had reinvented themselves a little bit before. It's a really nice mix of contemporary sounds and early 80s sounds in the way that Mark Ronson is is just so good at taking an era the way he did like the 60s with Amy Winehouse but meshing it with what was going on in the 2000s. He did that here but with the 80s. And a lot of newer bands were adopting these old sounds anyway so it sort of sounded contemporary on both counts. And this to me is the album where they started to become critic-proof because of their legacy which is, hey, fine. I think it's it's a very, very good album and would put this one in my top five as well. In fact... I'm going to make this case. If you want to know Duran Duran, you don't know them. Then go to uh, Rio, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, and then thirdly, Duran Duran, their first album. If you want to know Latter-day Duran Duran and don't have time to go through all the albums, you should start with All You Need Is Now from 2010. That's the album to start with. Favorite tracks on here, All You Need Is Now, Blame the Machines, Being Followed, which is a song that sounds like it could have been on the album Rio, Safe in the Heat of the Moment, featuring animatronic, Uh, Girl Panic, which sounds like it could have been from their first album, Uh, A Diamond in the Mine, which is a nice string-laden interstitial instrumental, Other People's Lives, again, really freaking strong song, Too Bad You're So Beautiful, Runaway Runaway, I really like that song, Return to Now is another cool instrumental, just some great stuff on there, great stuff. Interesting that Nile Rogers returns yet again, and I'm going to just hand up say this. Much as I like Nile Rogers, and especially what he did with Bowie and all of that, I don't always love him as a producer. And the three albums that he's done with them, I may have done more, but at least those three uh, Notorious, the one from a few years before this one, and Paper Gods in 2015, uh, not necessarily my favorites of Duran Duran. Uh, Ronson was back too, though. Interesting start to the album. This is their We're Now Legends. We're going to do an album of collaborations. Everyone's done it, especially in the 2010s and beyond. It's very 2015, which is a cool thing. Good time, whatever. Every song has something interesting to it. Most of the songs were not written by them, so it does sound a little bit more like a collection than an album. Uh, I don't think it's as strong as their uh, 2013 album and and or their 20... I'm sorry, 2013. 2010 album, All You Need Is Now. They didn't put out an album in 2013. Uh, I think All You Need Now, again, place to start, but it's a good album and some of my favorites. Uh, Paper Gods featuring Mr. Hudson. Look up Mr. Hudson. Pretty interesting character. Last Night in the City featuring Keisha. Keisha. Pressure Off featuring Janelle Monet and Niall Rogers. Face for Today featuring Don Brown. Butterfly Girl again. Uh, so, so interesting stuff, but again, not my top fave. Which brings me to six years later when uh, they came back to my radar with the album Future Past in 2021. It surprised me that Duran Duran was releasing an album. And it might be because it's the first time they got a significant amount of press in the States since God knows when, since maybe 93, to be honest, but who knows, like almost 30 years. I don't know. I just know that they were back on my radar and I'm glad they, they came back. I really enjoy this album. I'm not sure I'd put it on the top five, but I do 
do enjoy it a whole hell of a lot. Uh, really, really strong. They came out of that 2010s kind of heavy dance electro period. Still had a lot of that, but we're bringing back some more of that rock sound. That's why I like it better than Paper Gods and more of their own personal songwriting, which makes a difference, I think. It's a solid listen all the way through and marks their 40th anniversary of releasing albums. Favorites of mine are Invisible, All of You, Give It All Up featuring Tovalo. Anniversary was the song that re-caught my attention. I love the chorus of this freaking song. Beautiful Lies, uh, another one that was the of the one-two punch that recaught my attention. Tonight United, uh, Hammerhead featuring Ivorian Doll was the best actual rap on any Duran Duran song. Ivorian Doll's British uh, rapper does an amazing job. More Joy featuring Chai and Falling featuring Mike Garson, also very good songs. Which brings me to the album I haven't heard yet because as of this recording, it's not fully released. Dance Macabre. October 27th, 2023. Can't get more contemporary than that. 42 years after their first album. You will have heard it, hopefully, if you're a Duran Duran fan. Uh, Before I have heard it right now, I didn't get an advanced copy, people. But I have heard two of the singles. This is a reunion, a slight reunion of the Fab Five because Andy Taylor comes back for some parts of this album. The album is, covers... And some originals, mostly covers and a, f- and a few, I think three or four originals. Now, if you've been following the news, you might know that Andy Taylor has had issues with cancer. There were, there were reports early in the year and mid-year that this was it and he was in hospice care. And then I read reports more recently that he is uh, symptomless. He's asymptomatic and feels great. Now, is this that lull that can happen before it takes over and and you die? I don't know. I hope it's not. I hope he's truly in remission because he seems really happy and it would be great if he lived past his 60s. For God's sake, I don't want to have to do another Death is Dumb. Uh, But I'm happy that he's well enough to have worked on this album and hopefully will continue to work on them in the future. But who knows? It depends on his health and so many other things. Oh, yeah, so there's three new songs is what I have here. Two of those singles have been released, Dance Macabre and Black Moonlight, and I like the sound of both. Uh, it's, it's similar to 2021's Future Past and that mix of rock and electro, but it's weirder, which they've had weirdness from the beginning. Like I said on, you know, uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger and Rio, and there's some things past that, certainly the 90s work. There's a lot of interesting places they have gone production-wise and even writing-wise and performance-wise, and that continues straight up to these two recent singles, Dance Macabre and Black Moon, and I would, I would listen to them. Uh, conclusions? Yeah, so I've been in and out. Uh, you know, They've been in, on and off my radar for decades, and for almost 30 years to have passed in between them being on my radar is a shame. And I've talked about the industry and how they're often at fault, but I can also blame myself. Had I followed them after 93, when I really stopped, I would have been pleasantly surprised because that, that those the albums in 97 and 2000 are just super, super strong as is, you know, really the, even the work they did in the two thousands. And like I said, all you need is now in 2010 
you have to respect their longevity and the fact that their longevity is similar to you too. And the fact that they continue to release new material and to continue to push themselves and to try for more sure their personnel has changed, but that core, uh, you know, of uh, Simon LeBond and uh, Nick Rhodes in particular, and even John Taylor for the most part holds true. And the fact that Roger has been back for good is great. Andy, we fingers crossed. Absolutely. I, you, and you cannot discount their huge influence. If you were a fan at all of music in the early mid 2000s, don't even joke with me. All right. Uh, my favorite albums in no particular order to reiterate are the first Duran Duran, Rio, Medazzaland, Red Carpet Massacre, and All You Need Is Now. So those are my top five in one way or another. I'd love to know what your top fives are. I always want to hear from you. Brings me to the last part of this episode, as all episodes, the featured song, which is uh, a rec song, my band from the album uh, Parts and Labor. It's a remix of an older song that I did under the name Nick called Come a Little Come a Little Closer. And this remix is called Come a Little Closer Scared Boy Remix. And I chose it. A, because it sounds a whole lot like Duran Duran and their production-wise and their slower stuff that they've done. B, it's a mix of electro and rock and pop. It's electro power pop. And C, it's a freaking remix. It's a night version of Come a Little Closer. So it's just the perfect mix of things to have picked for this. This song was an important statement when I put it out on that first rec album because it was a remix of a Nick song, which was my previous career iteration that sounded very different from Nick music and sounded different from that original song and yet still had a connection. It was saying, this is what rec sounds like. It's connected, but it's not the same which is what a lot of Duran Duran's career was like. The song is about a guy who thinks he might be toxic or sending out toxic vibes, trying to reassure someone that they're safe to come closer and come even a little closer. But the song is a haunting song as if to say, well, maybe he's not quite sure. And that's it. Don't forget the bonus episode, uh, my cover of Ordinary World and uh, my original ex-miss from the Sunshine Seminar. Please uh, go to patreon.com slash music is not a genre. Thank you as always for watching and listening. My objectives here are music conversation and connection. I will talk to you next week. Just come.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 